somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. He's worthy. How many just happy to be in the house of the Lord? It's a good place to be, amen? And what the psalmist said in, in Psalms 100 and verse 4, it says this, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. He's worthy, amen? So as we continue this morning, hey, let's just worship the Lord with all our heart. We bless your name in this place, mighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, your word. 
time we say bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name come on sing it out we say sing like never before 
Bless the Lord right now. Go ahead. Get, we bless you, Lord. We thank you. Just talk to your Father. We thank you, Lord. You're good. You're a good, good God. We bless you, Lord. You know, I'm praying for this weekend. The word I hear over this ministry time is freedom. And God wants his children to be free. And it says in John 8, 36, whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. Now, before you're a Christian, we're a slave to sin. I was a slave for 30 years before I invited Christ into my life, and he sets me free. And so then I went from a slave to being a son. But even when we're Christians, we become a slave to things. And you could be a Christian, uh, you could be addicted to something, and God will want to set you free. But just thinking the basic things, when you're sick, you become a slave to that sickness. That sickness says, no, you're going to stay on the couch. No, you're not going to eat. And so you become a slave to that. And God wants you to be free. Today, from sickness, he wants you to be free. His name is Healer. And so our altar team's coming up right now, and they're going to pray for whatever your need is. But you could be a slave to fear. You could be a slave to just this week discouragement. Maybe you're a pretty happy person, but this week, that spirit of discouragement's got on you. So whatever it is, let's declare freedom over this house on the count of three. We'll say freedom. One, two, three. Freedom. Amen. Come to the altars. Let somebody pray with you. Thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach thee some melodious song, sung by blaming. Sons of love, praise the mountain, fix the point, mount of thy redeeming love. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a hope. Now your grace is always with me and I'll To grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prompt to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prompt to my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts of love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, 
Jesus, you're so worthy, Lord. We bless your name, Lord. Our glory belongs to you, Jesus. The 
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the connect room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe.
so glad you're here, and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. The journey of life can be difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. The first Saturday of every month, we have free extended childcare for our Saturday night attendees. You can go out on a date or run some errands till 9.30, and pizza is provided for the kids. Pick up a ticket from an usher after Saturday night service, recheck your child in, and you're on your way. Amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? Amen. We are glad that you're here. You're looking good. Hey, we got some ushers coming down the aisle with some church invite cards. How many people believe there's a lot of people around us that need to go to church? This is an easy way for you to invite someone to church, a coworker, a friend, whoever it may be. Let's get people in church next weekend. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, we want to recognize several of our leaders and ministers this morning in an ordination time. Ordination is one of the sacred ordinances of the church where a church recognizes those that are set apart in ministry. We've got three staff members and an elder, but uh, in, our, in our ordination process, there's first a license to preach for someone starting in ministry or, or ministering as a chaplain, and then ordination is second. And I encourage uh, young ministers to finish their education, their theological education, before their ordination. And we're celebrating today. Pastor Zach uh, got his master's recently, finished his, his seminary at Liberty University, and we're very proud of him. He ministers to our young adults, our media worship pastor. Pastor Travis recently has gotten his seminary degree from Regent University as well. We're very, very proud of him, our young adult pastor, which, by the way, his wife Whitney is on our staff. She heads up our Bible college. It's called Some. It was called School of Urban Ministries. It broadened what it did. Now it's degrees are accredited, associates, bachelor's, master's degree, and uh, it's in a dynamic environment. And we have a new uh, minister on our staff, Cole Yeldale, and his wife-to-be is with us. And Cole has his bachelor's, but he's, he, he has joined the team to work with our, our young adults, with our youth and our church today. He's part of the team. Pastor Travis oversees it, and he and Zach and the whole group work together. And I want to introduce Wally and Io Sunday. We're... 
Uh, we're laying hands on Wally as an elder. He and his wife uh, have been in our church quite a while now. Wally was an associate pastor at a previous church and uh, brings a great deal. He and his wife to our church. We're honored to, to have you here And uh, in terms of the shepherding of the people. We love you. I want to read something to you. Paul told these words to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. And he speaks of a responsibility, of, of a charge that one day you'll have to give an account to God for. This is not just an office. It's not just a job. It's not just something you signed up for. But it's a calling of God. It's, it's giftings of God that God will hold you in account. The first thing he says is to preach the word. Communicate the word of God. Let it be the standard. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then he describes culture. He said, The time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. If there's anything that characterizes America in terms of her religion today, I would say this is it. The Bible has fallen secondary. It's lost its role as absolute truth. It's our job to, to live it and to speak it. And then he says this, You be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, or in your case a pastor, and fulfill your ministry. I hope your testimony is that one day when you're old and gray that, uh, uh, and you hand the baton to someone else, you can say, I've finished strong. I stayed with Christ, I stayed with my wife, I kept my testimony, and uh, the kingdom of God is bigger and stronger because of my life. And one day the Lord will say, well done. Praise the Lord. We're going to bless them right now. I want you to lift your hands towards them. We believe in Hebrews 6, the doctrine of the laying on of hands for impartation. Lord, we just pray today for these men and women that are before us. We pray, Lord, as we pray for them, that the very Spirit of God would anoint them in what they do. Lord, that it'll begin with education and knowledge, but it will broaden itself to an anointing. Lord, that there will be a grace, there will be the spiritual gifts in operation. God, we just pray that godly character would grow and continue to grow. Lord, that you would continue to give them favor with God and man, that you would give them all in their sphere of ministry a watchful care over the congregation, that you would give them, Lord, the eyes and the heart of a shepherd that you would help us, Lord, to be able to men and women who live the truth and who proclaim the truth in a dark world. So bless us today as we set forth this task to be able ministers of the gospel in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give me a big hand. We're really, really proud of you guys. God bless you. Well, if you haven't voted yet, Tuesday is the day. And we have got some information guys out there, voter guys for Arkansas and Texas out in the lobby out there. Be sure to pick one of those up so you can look at how they stand, not their opinion, but how they voted and what their beliefs are and see if it matches up with the Word of God and you can be, be able to vote a little uh, better than as a Christian. Amen. Also, if you're fairly new to the church, have not got connected or got involved, we want to encourage you this Wednesday we start our Connect class, 630 in the Connect Cafe, just four weeks long. You'll learn about the church. You'll be able to learn your spiritual gifts. But also, if, if you thinking about joining the church, that's the class we recommend going to. Pastor John will be in there, that first one. You can ask him questions, learn about the church, but also learn about a little more about your gifts and abilities. This too. Wednesday at 6.30. This so Wednesday. If you're new in the church. In the, that's in the, the place to go. Good. Amen. Good, good. Hey, I want to mention something special to you that are Arkansas residents. How many Arkansas residents here? Let me see your hand here. Wave your hand at me. All right. I mentioned this to you several weeks ago. Perhaps you saw this in the paper. 
But the Arkansas City Council passed in one night an ordinance that sounds great on the outside, a non-discrimination ordinance. Certainly no one likes to, you know, the word discrimination. But yet as you explore it a little deeper, it has some concerns. For me as a pastor that believes in religious liberty and freedom, the first thing that concerns me is the fact that it was passed in the middle in one night with very little public approval or public opinion. And have me know our elected re representatives are supposed to represent the people. And that's what a government official is supposed to be. That concerned me that it, rather than having three separate readings in three meetings, as most councils do, this one was passed in one night. I've since learned that in the state of Arkansas, an outside group has given $9 million to try to pass these ordinances in cities all over Arkansas. And the two things that have been added are sexual orientation and gender identity. Gender identity, it's a newer term. It's my understanding that the transgender population in America is 0.03%, very small minority of people. But basically what it means is that though I may be a biological male, if I feel or identify like a female, then I can use whatever, whether it's a locker room or I can be free to go into a women's restroom if I want to. Uh, public accommodation is what it's called, and that's a part of this ordinance. The second thing that concerns me in this ordinance is the fact that what it's going to do is it's going to pit people of religious faith and freedom against those that have a different view of sexual orientation. And the city is required in their ordinance is that anybody that does business with the city of Texarkana, Arkansas, also has to sign this. And if you don't sign it, you can be subject to fines up to, and I've heard two numbers, $250 a day up to $500 a day that you'll be penalized for not going along with this. And there's even churches that have opened their church facilities to do this. So, uh, again, let me reiterate the position of our church in terms of sexual orientation. Anyone is welcome to come to our church. I will love you, but I will also tell you the truth. This is a Bible-believing church. This is a church that believes that the Bible is God's Word, and it sets the standards of right and wrong. Um, but listen, I love you just like people love me. I came out of a sexually immoral lifestyle, and uh, I understand what it's like to be worldly. I'm not anybody's judge, but it is my responsibility to, to, to speak the truth. So this is going on right here in our city. In our city, because it's Texarkana, Texas, and Arkansas, I mean, everything seems to get connected. There's no sense of where this might head. But here's the point of why I bring it up this morning. There's an opportunity for the citizens to have a vote on this. But we've got two more weeks that we need about 1,200 signatures of registered voters, Arkansas, Texarkana, Arkansas citizens, to be able to vote. And if you would just at least sign your name on the petition today, and then you can educate yourself, we can have further conversation. But at least it gives something like this the opportunity to be, have input from the public as opposed to just being pressed on us by, by outside interests. So that's in the lobby. You get your voters, God, and you sign that petition. I'd be deeply grateful. I think it's our responsibility to stand in America. Our, our culture is wavering. Our culture has lost its sense of right and wrong, and this is an opportunity to love people who disagree with you, but still stand for truth. And I'd appreciate if you'd sign it. Yeah. Well, you do, do you love Jesus this morning? Amen. Well, hey, it's offering time. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Looking at a few verses right here, and this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a great scripture, right? It really is. And there's really two reasons that we give. Number one, the Bible tells us in the Old and the New Testament to bring our tithes to the storehouse, to give our, our, our first fruits to the Lord. And God blesses us that way. And the second reason that we give is that scripture that I just read. Look, we serve a God that's a giving God. We serve a God that's blessed us. The Bible says that he's been merciful to us. He's been gracious to us. That scripture that I just read said that even when we are dead in our sins, that Jesus died for us. How many people are glad you didn't have to get right before Jesus died for you? He loves us. Here's what I want to challenge us with all today. As the ushers are about to come forward, just because God has blessed us, let's bless God today. Because he's been good to us, because he's been faithful to us. And I'm telling you, God has so much in store for our lives. So let's bless him today. God bless you as you give. one last time as a prayer to God today that His presence would capture our hearts. Reach out to heaven with me. Holy Spirit. Oh, we say now, Holy Spirit, you are verse that says draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Well don't you imagine if God would draw closer to us that we'd become aware of his presence? Don't you imagine there'd be a sense of awe, a sense of delight, perhaps even tears, joy? So that's what we're asking right now as we pray this prayer. Lord would you, Lord allow your Holy Spirit just to draw us closer to you. Come on just pray that for your own life today. Just say God I want you to be more real to me. Not a mystical, weird feeling, but the reality that the God of all the universe is my Father, that He loves me and cares for me. He's got a plan for my life, and I can have security and confidence about the future because God is near. So welcome today, Lord. Lord, we're all here standing before you. We've got needs, problems, struggles. We're afraid, we're hurt, we're confused. We just say welcome. Come and fix what's broken. Come and right what's wrong. Come and lift up what's been cast down. 
come place us back on the track if we've gotten off track. You say it again. Say, Lord, I welcome you in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you are really glad they're here today, and you may be seated. Well, the series is called What's Inside, and it's a series about character, it's about values, about attitudes, about that which is in, inside us that drives and defines us. And each week we're doing a contrast of godly character and what we might call ungodly or worldly or, or, or carnal or fleshly character, Try like a teeter-totter. We're trying to see which one God favors and hopefully choose that one. Last week we talked about content or complaining. And you remember we asked the question, uh, are we content in our circumstances or do we complain about what we don't like? And uh, I actually got caught in my own sermon trap this week. Yeah, we sponsored uh, some luncheons this week and we had chicken spaghetti for both of them and it was really good chicken spaghetti. Uh, But I wasn't real crazy about eating it twice for dinner because I'd had it for lunch and I made a comment about that. And somebody said, you should listen to the pastor's sermon last Sunday. It would have been a a real good one. And, of course, I excommunicated them, but they're very nice. nice. I'm just teasing. This morning, I want to ask the question, do I forgive and show people mercy, or do I seek revenge? When you hurt me, what do I do? Do I hurt back or do I show you the same mercy and forgiveness that God has shown me? It's called merciful or vindictive, and it's based on a scripture, James chapter 2, verse 13. It's a profound verse. James was the brother of Jesus. The book of James is like the New Testament version of Proverbs of Old Testament. It's a book of wisdom. But listen to what he says. He said, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Now, that just, that's a grabber. But here's the good part. If you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, I capitalize the word when. That's not capitalizing the Bible. But we forget sometimes that as a Christian, there will be a judgment day for me as well. How many know there, that there's judgment for Christians on this earth? Hebrews 12 talks about God's discipline. 1 Corinthians 11 It talks about communion, and it said to the church, many are weak, sick, and dying because they fail to discern the Lord's body. In other words, the the church that they're in, there was some conflict going on there, and there was a judgment, but there is an ultimate judgment. And this passage said, if you want to stay on God's good side, treat other people with mercy. So this is a message about forgiveness. This will be a practical message to you. It will be a challenging message, I hope, that will speak to you about what's inside from past hurts, uh, what I do in the midst of situations I'm in. But these words, merciful, merciful means to be compassionate. It is to pity people who've done wrong. It is to forgive someone and not punish or seek revenge. 
And listen to this, to forgive means to treat the offender better than they deserve. Now, isn't that what our Heavenly Father has done for us in forgiveness? The very essence of being a Christian is looking to the cross of Christ, recognizing that I've sinned against a holy God, my sin deserves judgment, but instead of a judgment, simply because I believe, simply because I have confessed my sins, simply because I have turned my heart to Christ, God gives me mercy and there's no judgment. Let me know that's a good thing. So now to, to be vindictive, that's the other side. Vindictive is to be spiteful and relentless in my attempt to punish and get even. It is that you hurt me, I'll hurt you. And I don't care if it takes a week, a month, a year, or 10 years, but revenge is to be savored. This word revenge, it simply means to inflict pain or injury when someone does wrong to me. So this is kind of a mafia approach. You get me, I'm going to get you back. And, uh, but how many also know it's a church member approach? We can be just as vindictive as someone else. Let me show you a little video clip. It's from the movie The Interpreter. And it's about a woman who was an interpreter at the UN. She's from one of the African nations and has observed a lot of murder and genocide. And, and that's the subject of the murderer and what's done to him. Take a peek here, and then we'll begin in Matthew chapter 18. What are you not telling me? What are you accusing me of? How do you feel about Zawani? Never mind, I don't care for him. I feel disappointment. That's a lover's word. What about rage? Of all the people that I've looked into since this thing started, the one with the darkest Zuwani history is you. It was his landmines that killed you. Everyone who loses somebody wants revenge on someone on God if they can't find anyone else. But in Africa, in Matopo, the coup believe that the only way to end grief is to save a life. If someone is murdered, a year of mourning ends with a ritual that we call the drowning mantra. There's an all-night party beside a river. At dawn, the killer is put in a boat, he's taken out on the water, and he's dropped. He's bound so that he can't swim. The family of the dead then has to make a choice. They can let him drown, or they can swim out and save him. The coup believe that if the family lets the killer drown, they'll have justice but spend the rest of their lives in mourning. But if they save him, if they admit that life isn't always just, that very act can take away their sorrow. Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Well, a non-biblical example, yet giving a biblical truth. If you heard the story... Imagine that you murdered someone that I love and care about. I know who you are. You have, I guess, been arrested. After a year of my struggle with what happened, you're tied up forcibly and you're dropped in the water, and I get to decide if you get justice for your crime or if you get mercy. 
But if mercy arises in my heart and I forgive you, then I'm freed for the rest of my life. Whereas if I embrace justice and give you what you deserve, I will suffer perhaps bitterness or guilt or shame for the rest of my life. So how many know forgiveness releases, but unforgiveness binds? So let's explore it. I've entitled the message again, Merciful or Vindictive. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. It's a parable Jesus told. I'll begin asking two questions, and the first one is this. How do I want to be treated when I do wrong? Now, this is a parable, and a parable that Jesus told is a story of the natural examples of the world that they lived in with a spiritual application. So here's the picture. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times or how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, in the rabbinic tradition, in other words, the rabbis, when they answered the question, they said that you need to forgive three times. And three, how many know three is pretty good? But Peter said, I'm going to be better than that. Seven. You see, seven is God's number. And since I'm God's man, I'm going to forgive seven times. Jesus said, uh-uh, seven times 70. And that's not saying, okay, I'm using my little Evernote and my phone. And okay, you sinned against me 19 times. You broke your word. Yeah, you said you were going to call me and take me. No, you never did that. My wife has been gone now how many times? That doesn't mean that when you get to 489, you get excited. Come on. Because now you get to finally get even. Jesus is saying, look, no matter what somebody does to you, it, it pales in comparison to the forgiveness that God has given us. Now, how many know, I don't care if you're a good sinner or a bad sinner. If you, if you get all the awards in Texarkana and everybody likes you, or you're the most vile person to the police in town, how many know a sin is a sin? And the consequences of sin are why Adam and Eve got us in the mess we're in today. It's why people die. It's why hell will be populated one day. It's all because of sin. But the mercy of God, how many know, is greater than sin. The mercy of God covers sin. And Jesus is going to give us an illustration of this. Now, verse 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared, or the kingdom of heaven is like... And now Jesus is going to give us a simile, the way that his eternal kingdom operates uh, and the realities that he sets. And how many know God sets the rules? In modern America, in this age of idolatry, self-worship, we've been falsely told that we can set up our own rules. Not so. God is the one that designed the law of thermodynamics. He, He designed the law of gravity. And whether I like it or not, come on, if I step off a tall building, I'll experience the consequences. Well, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Now, there's three people in this parable, and they represent something spiritual. The king represents God, the ultimate judge. The first servant is a picture of you and I. And the question that will be posed is, how do I treat people who do wrong to me? And the third character is going to be called the second servant. And when we see the tables are turned, and now when somebody does wrong to me, how do I respond to them? So that's the parable. Let's read it. The king decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who'd borrowed money from him. Now, it's about money, but it's not about money. It's about forgiveness and justice. Now, how many know the idea of the king has the right to bring accounts to date? God has the right to judge us one day. The Bible 
says there will be a judgment day, that we will stand before God and give an account for our lives. The Bible even says we'll give an account for every evil word or idle word that we speak. He knows the thoughts that we think. And he says one day, judgment, give an account. Well, in the process, one of his debtors, this is us, was brought who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he be sold, here's justice, along with his wife, his kids, and everything he owned to pay the debt. I mean, this is the way an ordered society works. He didn't do what he should, and now there's consequences. But verse 26, notice the man, and this is a picture of a repentant man. It's a picture of you and I coming to Christ. He fell down before his master, and he begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. And his master was filled with what? Pity compassion, it's mercy, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, that's an incredible thing to think that you owe, your house payment could be forgiven, your car payment could be forgiven, come on, your, your, your loan shark debt could be forgiven. I mean, whatever it is, but, but something that you knew there were going to be horrible consequences, you couldn't come up with it, you were about to suffer, be thrown out on the street, and the one who had the authority tore up the paper and said, you can go free. Isn't that a wonderful picture of forgiveness? That if we simply come to God and say, God, I ask for your forgiveness. John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful gift God offers? Well, notice he's going to tell us to do the same thing. Um, the word forgive, it means to pardon an offense or a debt. It means to overlook it, to treat the offender as not guilty and not punish them. It means to turn justice over to God. Now, I have a tender heart. Any tender-hearted people out there? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're easily hurt. All you hard-hearted people, let me see your hands. Just You that wouldn't raise your hand no matter what. Yeah. I'm tender-hearted. I get my feelings hurt all the time. And what happens is you want to just hold on to it. And you could be cutting the grass weeks later. And it just is, your teeth are grinding. Seven years later. And your teeth are grinding. And every time you, if you see that person in the grocery store, you back up. You go back down the other aisle. I think you've done this before. But we hold on to it and somehow in this attempt to, or you could be one of these type people. I mean, someone is, someone is, uh, is uh, 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 you see them and they hurt you. You can pick up a can and you can just start, just, just. That's for you angry people. But the issue is, somebody has just done me wrong. What am I going to do now? This is, this is about forgiveness. Now, in this, in this passage, this passage illustrates the nature of God and His expectation for us. God forgave the man. Now, listen, and He wants us to forgive other people in the same way we've been forgiven. If you want to understand who God is, He is first loving and merciful. If you were to flip a coin 99 times, God would end up on the mercy side. Now, we'll see later there's something on that other side because God is not only merciful, He's just, but He is first and foremost, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's merciful. Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So here's what I want to tell you today. I don't care what you've done in your life. 
God not only can, but he wants to forgive you. I did something in my late teenage years. I was not a Christian. I was saved when I was uh, 19. But I had a few years there where I was very worldly, and something happened in my life that I was ashamed for 20 years to tell anybody that I'd done. None of your business what it is. But before I could tell another human being, sin has a weight. And, and, and it's, I've talked to people who said, I'm living so bad, I'm not even worthy to come to church. Well, you know what? You're living good or bad is not what makes you worthy. What makes you worthy, come on, is the shed blood of Christ that is atoned for our sins, that has washed our sins away, that has separated our sins as the, as the east is from the west. And I desperately need that, not only for Judgment Day, but for this life. Now, Colossians 3.13, as we transition, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you, except your former spouse. I mean, they're... Accept your former pastor, accept your former boss, forgive anyone. No, anyone is anyone. Now, this next phrase, it grabs me. The Lord forgave you, so you. This is a big deal. Now, let's continue in our, in our parable. Verse 28, the question is, how do I treat people who wrong me? Now, mind you, I've just been forgiven millions of dollars. Verse 28, so I leave the king. And I go to a fellow servant who owes me a few thousand dollars. Perhaps your translation says 100 denarii, 100 and 200 denarii. Denarii was a Roman coin. It was the equivalent of a day's wages. So, so comparing now, millions of dollars, can't pay a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now here's what we're going to see. Injustice turns into vindictiveness. It turns into punishment. It turns into revenge. Verse 29, this feels like deja vu. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for some more time. Does that sound familiar? Please be patient. I'll pay it. He pleaded. But the creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and he put him in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And here's the message. When I mess up, I want mercy. When you mess up, I want justice. And this is exactly the interplay of human dynamic that goes on that God is talking about. The roles are reversed. Now I get to decide what to do. Am I going to be merciful as I receive mercy? Or am I going to act with vengeance, get even, punish, and cause pain? Now let's make sure we balance this out. The Bible does not teach that Christians cannot pursue justice when wronged. Let me say it again. The Bible does not teach that we can't pursue justice when someone does wrong against us. It doesn't mean we're a doormat. Uh, most of the writings of Moses have to do when he instructed Israel. It was laws that would govern uh, uh, offenses that happened between people. Anything from a minor offense to swiping somebody's oxen to, to murder. I mean, all these had consequences. The idea of justice simply means to be just is to do what the law requires. Western civilization arguably was built on the teachings of Scripture to do what the law requires, and when I fail to do that, that the judge will act in a fair and impartial way. Now, how I many know that's what all of us expect? But now as politics escalates and gets worse and worse, we're going to see the worst of everybody out there because all the politicians are a bunch of sinners. Come on, how many know that? Just like the person wearing your shoes today. It's true. They're going to lie. They're going to be lawless. We, our nation is no longer acting in a lawful manner. That's why we're so upset. 
That's why there's such, a, such a, an angst that's rising against the, what's called the establishment in Washington today because we're looking at lawlessness. We're looking at lawlessness on our borders. We're looking at immigration law being cast aside for political gain. Uh, we're looking at lawlessness when it came to how we get it, got our health care system, how they're spending our money, making more money bringing in today than ever in the history of the nation, but still going to run a projected five to $600 billion debt of our money, come on now, to be able to enslave future generations. It's lawless that's out there. We're watching Mrs. Clinton now, and again, she's like the rest of the gang, I think. But all this email things, and what's classified and what's not, and others have been put in prison. But because she's special, has power, come on, whatever the case is, she may be treated differently than you would be treated or I would be treated. This is lawlessness, and this is the expectation of what justice is supposed to address. Now, I thought for the last three days I prayed about how can I convey when we should pursue justice and when we should just let it go. And can I be honest with you? I don't know what to tell you. Because in my heart, I, 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 I want all the justification for justice that I can get. Well, you hurt me. You take my money. Come on. You, 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 you do me wrong. You break my lawnmower. You, whatever you do, you do something wrong. I mean, there's, just, there's plenty inside of me to get even. It just is. What I need more of is what Jesus said. When he, Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. If they slap you on one cheek, I want you to turn the other. If they take your coat, I want you to give them your shirt. If they ask to borrow, I want you to give it to them and not expect it back. So you can be, come on, so you can be children of your father. And then he goes on to say, you be merciful just as I've been merciful to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need more of that than I do of how quickly I can go after somebody. Come on. And when it's legitimate for me to get them. So again, I'm not telling you you can't pursue justice, but I would pursue it very close to God and after prayer because the big issue, though, is not just do I seek to justice, but it is the attitude of my heart. Now, and when I say this in terms of justice, one of the greatest examples I have seen this in this past year or so, or in a long time, is this horrible shooting that happened in Charleston where this white man, this young boy, or young boy, this young or white man, went in a black church on a Wednesday night and for no reason whatsoever pulled out a gun and killed nine people. Now look, what could have happened? In, first of all, that man deserves justice in a just legal system. But what could have happened in America was we could have had as much racial violence as we've ever known in our history. You know why that didn't happen? It's because the church members chose to forgive that man. Now listen... You read about them, you read their stories, and a daughter would say, I'll never be able to hug my mother again. I won't be able to be at her house at Christmas. You have hurt me in a way that I can never recover from, but I still choose to forgive you. Come on. Is it just possible they lay hold of mercy? Now, listen, we all know that there are movements in America to stand for the rights of different races. We've all got them. We've got them for whites. We've got them for Hispanics. We've got them for black. We've all got groups that stand up for the rights of the race. But here's what most of them do. Most of them look to the offenses of the past. They look across 350 million Americans. They try to find an example of the offense that's repeated itself. And it's just like, let all hell be released against that person. Make it into whatever we want it to. But what's missing in most of these movements is a call to forgive. Come on. A call to reconcile. A call to treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And it just fosters the divide that's in our country today. Now, Romans chapter 12. The issue here is our heart. 
Well, how many know I cannot expect someone that doesn't have a converted heart to behave in a converted way? See, people that do me wrong. These little petition things that I'm encouraging you to sign. People of a different gender or sexual orientation are not my enemies. Come on. I was once on the wrong side of biblical morality. I wasn't gay. That was not my problem. I liked girls when I was a teenager. I mean, just kind of be clear on that there. But, 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 but people that are different from us are not our enemy. You got me off the Bible again. See, some of you. Rome, Romans chapter 12. My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you. Don't punish them. The ESV says, never avenge yourselves, but wait for God to punish them. And that doesn't mean that you're just doing this. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, now wait a minute. If he's thirsty, give him, why would you do that? It opens a door of grace. It is imitating our heavenly Father. It is not letting evil defeat you. Well, actually, the rest of the verse says, it'll be like pouring burning coals on his head. You say, well, now we're getting even. We're getting somewhere. No. It is a picture of conviction. It is a picture of contriteness. It is the result, just like Saul of Tarsus was there when Stephen was unjustly stoned. And he watched a godly man, not a religious man. In the next chapter, he's converted. It opens the door the way I treat people who deserve judgment when I give them mercy. You see, if I refuse to forgive someone, I cast you in a prison. Now, I might hire an attorney to guard that prison. I might tell that attorney to destroy you. You might have given me as a sign of our love a a family heirloom as a ring. And to get even, I flush it down the commode. Maybe you do this. Maybe you refuse to let the kids see their daddy. Maybe before you were married, your mother-in-law-to-be didn't want you to marry her baby. Now, let me tell you something, young people. Nobody will ever be good enough for mama's baby. You're just going to have to deal with that. But. If mama communicated that to daughter-in-law-to-be and daughter-in-law-to-be said, I'm going to remember. And babies come along and nothing brings greater joy to grandma than holding that baby. What you'll do is you'll withhold that baby from grandma's house. Can I tell you, that's how we do this thing. We passive aggressives know how to hurt without slapping. But this is what happens when we refuse to give mercy just like we've got mercy. And what happens in a person's life when they become bitter, it's like kinking a garden hose and the flow of God's grace and mercy in my life begins to stop. And the first thing you'll do is you'll blame the preacher. He's just not anointed anymore. That song, that song leader just can't sing anymore. And I'm going to find me a, another church. And, 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 and the problem is not the church. The problem is our hearts have grown hold, hard and cold to God. I'm preaching better than your amening. Look at verse 31. Now, here's, the, here's where it kind of comes to a head. God will treat us the way we treat other people. Back to the story, the parable. Verse 31. Some of the earth, other servants saw this. That is, when I threw the guy in prison, they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. 
In case you didn't know this, God knows everything we've done. The Bible teaches He knows the thoughts that we think, and He knows the attitude of our heart. Verse 32, the king called in the man he'd forgiven, and he said, You... Mind you now, we're talking about how our Heavenly Father looks at us. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the king was angry. See, now we're seeing the flip side of the coin. You remember 99 times you flip God? He's coming up merciful and loving. But that one time, you see, God is also just. He is first loving. He's first merciful. But he will be just if we force him to. He said he sent the man to prison to be tortured. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be tortured by God. Come on. How many know God knows how to get our attention? And verse 35 I can delete this from my iPad. You're going to have to cut it out of your Bible because here's what it says. This is what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. Wow. The Lord's teaching that forgiveness should be in direct proportion to the amount we are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but I've done some pretty things in my life that I'm pretty much ashamed of. And I need the mercy of God more and more each day. And I don't want to bring myself under God's condemnation. Do you know Ephesians 4.32 says, You forgive other people just as God forgave you. How many pray the Lord's Prayer? I pray it every day, not as rote memory, but I pray it as like stopping points. When I pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, I pray for everything going on that day. But notice what else I pray. Verse 12, forgive me for my sins. I pray that every day. And i got to tell you, sometimes, most of the time I forget to pray as I forgive other people. Is that in your Bible? You're asking God, forgive me, just like I forgive everybody else. And then right after the Lord's Prayer, most profound prayer in the Bible, verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father won't forgive your sins. And let me know, that's not good. Hey, let's wrap this up here. We're going to have, have a little prayer. James 2.13, it's the text we began with. And I want you to say this with me out loud. It says, there will be no mercy... For those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Come on, give him a hand today. He's a merciful God. Why don't you stand to your feet with me, and we're just going to have a little prayer here. Now, you'll be headed out that door in just a minute, and I sure hope that you'll take time to go and sign that petition, Arkansas folks. Arkansas or Texas, get a voter's guide. See not just what the TV ad or your full mailbox has to say, but, but see what they say on issues. It'll, it'll, it'll help you. If you're new in our church and you want to get involved or you want to join or figure out you know, how to get involved, go to the Connect Room right across the hall, right after service, and this Wednesday night you come to that Connect class. But all that stuff, put it aside just a second. And ask this question, now, Lord, what are you saying to me about what I heard today? Here's what I know. It's easier, more apt that I'll respond to God when I'm in church than when I get in a car. There'll never be a time today where what we've talked about is more real to you than it is right now. And my question is, what, God, what might God be saying to you today? 
Why don't you just bow your head just a moment. And I, I think all of us here today would say, Lord, we want your mercy. I think every person in this wrong world would say in this room that well, we've done wrong. And I need the mercy of God. Come on, tell the Lord that right now. I want your mercy. I, I don't want to face you on judgment day. I don't want to stand before the God of, to judge my life. I, I want forgiveness and I need it now. I can't wait for that day to ask. God, I, I want you to help me. I don't want to have a vengeful, vindictive heart. Come on, pray that right now. Say, Lord, just, just clean that out of me. I don't want to be judgmental, vindictive. I don't want to grab somebody by the throat and say, I'm going to get even. I want to be like Christ. But I need to tell you, Lord, it's hard to do sometimes. And would you please help me? I'll tell you a little story. I had my feelings hurt. I don't think I've shared this in this service. If I have, wave at me. But I, I had my feelings hurt pretty bad by a church member at one time. And the terrible thing is, I had to drive close to their neighborhood to get to the grocery store, to get kind of where I was going. And every time I'd drive by, it's like the offense would just be in my hand and I would just do this, unconsciously. And I just would want to avoid the neighborhood. But finally, I started, I'm going to apply this. And I started opening my unforgiving fingers it's true. And saying out loud, I forgive them. I want to turn justice over to you. And pretty soon I found that my fingers were kind of limber. And then I started doing something else. I started to say, Lord, I bless them today. I just pray that the goodness and kindness of God would fall on them. And you know what was happening? That little thing that I used to do this about was kind of disappearing. Because just like that video that we showed in the first of the service... When that guy was drowning, I went out there and I got him and brought him back to shore. Are you with me today? And you can do the same thing today. We're going to close with prayer in this service because if God has, if there's something in your life that you know somebody you need to forgive and you've had a hard time with it, I'm going to encourage you to see this altar as a place to turn it over to God. Maybe you walked in with some baggage and I just stirred it up today. I want to encourage you to take advantage of this prayer time. Let it be a holy moment. And turn it over to God. How many know God is big enough to help us? And He'd never ask us to do anything we couldn't do. Now, the most important thing I want to include in this prayer is this. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I, I need to be saved. I need to get right with God. My relationship with God is not where it needs to be. If I died today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. What I need is God's forgiveness for my sins. See, that's where it starts to become a Christian. Going to church is good, but going to church won't get you to heaven. I mean, only believing in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's the step you need to take today. Maybe the life you've been living has not brought you the joy and happiness that you're looking for. Maybe what's missing in your life is a real relationship with God. And it could start today by you giving your life to Christ and receiving His forgiveness. If that's you, when we start to pray, I want to encourage you to slip right over to this cross on my left and your right, and someone will meet you there and pray with you as you commit your life to Christ. And I want to ask everyone, unless you have an emergency, just hang on for this one last song because God is dealing with people and there's about to be some miracle moments taking place. So go ahead and begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. And if you need a moment with God, you need somebody to pray for you, you need to turn something over to God, most importantly, you need to give your heart to Christ, you come and let us pray for you. I love you. Thanks for coming today.
anything but if you're new this morning too on your way out the door hey if you're new stop by the connect room they'd love to talk to you i think they have a free gift for you god bless you and look forward to seeing you next week you are perfect in all the ways